0: There's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. Um, I wonder what the world would be like if we believed that. If everyone believed that, like really, really believed that, what we might spend our time on. (laughs) Trying less hard to be good and worthy or spending less time thinking we aren't worthy. I think so much of our mental... An emotional life is spent on doing one of those two things, right? Working really hard or thinking we are awful. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how much of our energy could be used for making the world a, a really a better place if we, if we believed those two things solidly at our core. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a special delayed release episode of the Hidden World Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Logan. I interviewed today's wonderful guest, Natalia Turfa, over the summer, but a series of logistical and professional conflicts delayed our ability to produce this episode in a timely way. The good news is that the conversation Natalia and I had is just as fresh and timelessly important today as it was in July of 2022. Natalia is a Lutheran pastor and the co-host of the podcast, Cafeteria Christian. She and her fellow hosts have done something extraordinary with their podcast and the community that has risen up around their conversations. I think of their work and the community that surrounds this work as one of the most inspiring answers to the myriad of problems facing most modern faith communities in the Western world. I'm so, so happy to have had this opportunity to get to know Natalia and to share her with all of you. Welcome to this week's episode of The Hidden World. Start by telling me about Cafeteria Christian. So we started in 2018 um, and it started
0: basically because I I read um, Nora McInerney's first book. It was right after it was published and sent her a note and was like, I've been handing this book out like candy lately to people. And so I just thanked her for it. And she messaged me back and was like, I'm interested in your bio particularly the pastor part. And um I was like, okay, ask me, like ask me a question. And and we just kind of started a back and forth where she I mean she was raised Catholic and her, her people in her life that were Christian um tended to be a little more conservative and so she was like, what are you basically like oh, are you, this exists in the world? It was just kind of a uh a new experience for her. A lady pastor was a new experience, but also a pretty liberal lady pastor was a new experience for her. And, um, and then I didn't try to convert her or get her to come to church. I was just like, ask me, I'll, tell, I'll talk, I'll talk about anything you want to. And we kind of started a friendship. And then, um, I don't know, it was like a year after that, she was like, I have an idea for a podcast and I think we should do it. And so we had first jokingly thought of calling it not that kind of Christian. Like that was going to be the, the working title. And then she's like, we should call it cafeteria Christian. um, Which is like a reclaiming of the insult. Am I allowed to swear on here? I don't know. If you're half-assing, if people think you're half-assing Christianity, then they call you cafeteria Christian. Like you're not doing all of it. You're just doing some of it. And we wanted to approach the topics around faith with that lens of like, maybe you don't have to take all of it. Maybe you can leave some of it behind. So our tagline became take what you like and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. And um that that I would say uh that podcast community has become a saving grace for me, particularly in this weird pandemic time, because we were already doing online community before we were forced to, right? And, and I do have a physical congregation here in the Twin Cities. I do um, lead worship in a church building, but uh, I don't, I don't know how, and the people there are lovely, but I also just need to be honest and say it's not, that ministry is not what's keeping me in this, right? Now I find all the life and joy in ministry is coming from cafeteria Christian. And part of that, I think, truly settles around, you know, it kind of grew bigger than we were able to catch up with, you know, it just kept on growing. And and we had to wonder, like, what would it look like to have groups or, you know, read a book together and, and do this kind of thing. And so we've, we, we created sort of a, like, what's our core belief, core value. And when it came down to it, we decided that openness and curiosity were our core values, which I feel like is not how a lot of churches operate. And so because of that, it has opened us up to hearing from different people and experiencing different stories. And there's there's a joke among pastoral circles, maybe that's like this in therapy too, but you have like you like three sermons and you just like preach the same three sermons over and over and over again. And if I had to pick and they, they might change over your lifetime, but you kind of have a standard three that, that even if the text is different, the overall message is the same. And I think one of my three sermons is, um, what it looks like to continue to widen the view of who God is in the world. And if we believe as people of faith, that we are created in the image of God, then every person that has a different story than mine widens who God is for me. And I just think Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that is what this open, curious community has done in a way that my, you know, physical community church just can't, it it just can't based on physical limitations or geographical limitations, or, I mean, Minnesota's Lutherans up here are real white. And so it's just like we, we, our community in the podcast is just more diverse in all sorts of ways. And because of that, my experience personally, my experience of God, and I think the people in the community as well has gotten wider and bigger. And that I think is always the way it should be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Um, I keep smiling about the, um, Minnesota Lutherans I, I <laughs> my mom's side of the family is Scandinavian Lutheran so I um so you know I, I know I really know <laughs> yeah um and they are they are awesome people and um very sincere and and grounded and humble in their faith but it's very homogenous okay so You are doing some non-traditional pastoral (laughs) work in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the joy of the community is that um, I get to wonder without a roadmap. Maybe I should say wander instead of wonder. I get to wander without a roadmap about what it looks like to be a pastor in a digital space. That's Mm -hmm. unusual um and my denomination does not have a path to let to let I'll put that in air quotes but like there's no path to let me do that um so I'm just kind of doing it on the side on the slide just figuring it out I don't know it's it is interesting and and yet I find you know you and I aren't in the same physical space right now but you still have a body and you are still embodied and I still have a body and I'm still embodied. And that doesn't mean our connection now is any less real or embodied or, um, or less than
1: mm-hmm.
0: an in-person conversation. I get that there are things about in-person conversations that are different, yeah, but they're not less. And I think that switch is hard for people to make if they've only experienced community or care or a pastor in a physical personal way right like uh an in-person kind of way but the the care and connection that can be made in a digital space is I just it is still really beautiful and really powerful and when you watch it happen there was a, a long time ago now pretty I mean it was pretty early on in the podcast community we had one member message our, our group and say our Facebook group and say, um, my, uh, my sister just got engaged to a wonderful woman and our family is not supportive. Their families are not supporting her, either one of them. And they just got engaged and I want to celebrate it. And our community, she's like, here's their address. And she sent pictures the next week of like piles and piles and piles of mail saying, congratulations, love is love, like all these beautiful messages of support from a whole community that was from everywhere, right? And that to me was like so gorgeous, like so gorgeous. So brings me to tears a little thinking about it, because that is the power of a community like that, where you get to choose um you get to really choose your community and and the community really gets to come around people they've never met in these gorgeous ways that I feel like are so faithful and beautiful right to say this is what this is what this looks like and that I feel like both me and the other co-hosts there's now four of us um we trust our community to step up and take care. And if if somebody's going through something in a specific geographical area, we will ask somebody else that we know in that area, mm-hmm. can you do something or can you show up? And they do. And it's just like, who are you? Like who does this? But it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and there's a recognition of it's a safe space for people, right? They trust the other members of the community to also be the caring in that way and open and curious and accepting and affirming and all those things that people may not
1: trust a church to be you know yeah you know i I was just kind of thinking about how i I don't want to be too gendered here but it doesn't surprise me that women would would know how to allow a broad digital network become a real network, right? Yeah. There's a, there's such a sort of a, I don't know, a a web, at least this is how I experience a lot of um, pastoral care or community care that's born from a group of women, is that Mm -hmm. it often the webs get bigger you know there's there's just this leadership by web or something yeah and that that web
0: catches people and that's so beautiful and and yeah I mean I don't I also want to be careful to not be too gendered but also boy there aren't a lot of toxic men who will listen to a podcast led by women you know so to me when there are men who are listening to our podcast and valuing what we say and trusting us, that means they have done some work because there aren't. <laughs> and, and we joke about calling them like not dude bros. like they get they get a coveted label of not a dude bro if they're a part of the community because a really toxic
1: mm-hmm.
0: patriarchal leader, figure, man will not listen. They won't, they can't, they can't handle it. And, and or they've they've been taught and have believed that women do not have this kind of voice in the church mm-hmm. and so they won't they won't listen and so if they are listening at least they believe we are allowed to speak in this space and that's a good beginning step right
1: <laughs> also something about podcasts in general where you have to want it you have to want it you have to have the attention span you have to have the ability to engage yeah. And it's not flashy and quick. It's not a reel. It's not a TikTok. It's not a glitzy, glamorous visual. Yeah. You know, bite sized, easily digestible, you know, tab of sugar. It's there's complexity, there's layers. And I think it, it draws a certain kind of mentality. There's, a, there's, or a certain kind of person you know, someone who can listen, right. It's a, yeah. it's a listening exercise. It is true. And I think, you know, there's people
0: who will be like, I oh, listen to it on two times speed. I'm like, why though? It's, we, we, you know, I don't know when we used to, I used to laugh when, um, particularly storytelling ours is ours is more conversational. So fine. Speed it up if you want, though. I talk plenty fast. I don't think anybody needs to speed me up, but, um, <laughs> but particularly in storytelling ones, I'm like artists, artists and creators make pauses intentionally. And so like, if you speed through it, you're, you're like messing with their creative intent. I don't know. I've got some opinions. It is interesting when you really think about podcasting as an intentional activity where you are intentionally pausing and slowing down and, and, um, yeah, listening to what people have to say. That's, I like that. I like that thought. I hadn't really thought about it. I like this. I'm doing a research project and I'm I la- I just wrote, I took a note and just said podcasts aren't bite-sized or flashy. I think there's there's something that's gonna I need yeah. to, I need to, I need to explore that a little because I think that's yeah. very true.
1: I feel most comfortable um offering the depth and breadth of my own wisdom and experience in a podcast format because I don't. I don't think that the juiciest, richest things, it doesn't feel very comfortable or to give it away in um, f- quick pace, uh, algorithm, messy places. And, yeah. And there's there's something very, um, it's like the boundaries on the podcast conversation create themselves. Yeah. Yeah you're not going to make it to the rich jewel (laughs) without putting in some time and effort. There's almost like a equal exchange of energy. When it is a quick bite, there's not a lot of room for nuance. Right. And, and
0: I, I have a friend who keeps being like, Natalia, you got to get on TikTok. There's just so much space out there for a pastor to like say things that you say, you got to get on there. And I was just like, Oh gosh, I don't think, I've been trying to remove myself from spaces that have not a lot of nuance (laughs) and TikTok feels like a place that doesn't have a lot of nuance. And I just feel like it would be really bad for me (laughs) mentally. I feel like I'd have a really hard time with it, but, um, and that, that people get to decide so fast about you. I don't know. That's, that's hard for me personally. And I just think there is, Our world needs more practice in being nuanced and holding all the things and seeing people as full people, as opposed to a position. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I don't know, that's really hard to do on the internet, but it is easier to do in a podcast. So I have really loved podcasting. And that's why I love writing to take like the current argument of the, of the current cultural time, which is abortion and to say I used to be really pro-life because I grew up Catholic and that's, that's what you are when you're Catholic. It's like, it's indoctrinated for sure. I would love to tell somebody or have somebody ask me um, who, who disagrees with me to say, how did you move? What, what was the movement? How did you get from there to there? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't do that in a tweet and you can't do that in a meme. And so, and so it is really hard to say it, that movement like that is slow. And, and yeah, there's not a lot of heart mind changing that happens in a, in a bite-sized thing, right? Like you said, or flashy, it just, it is slow, tedious, long work.
1: You know, one of the real gifts of being a therapist, and, and I do really long-term depth psychotherapy or psychoanalysis too, is that there's this extraordinary, it feels religious to me. Um, it, it's so sacred to spend years listening to somebody's story. I don't think it's even, I don't think it's possible to not be a bit in love with everyone who you listen to that deeply. You know, sometimes I've worked with people where in the beginning, I think, there are some rough edges here and it's kind of uncomfortable to sit with them. And I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder if we're the right fit for each other. And inevitably, some amount of time in, I start thinking, oh my God, my affection and um, like tender emotional wellspring of genuine love for this person is so sincere. I feel it in my body. And the only way that is that I can explain that is deep listening.
0: In therapy, right for me right now in therapy, one of the things I'm working on is is um so we're we're trained as clergy in in create being a non anxious presence is like a skill set right. Therapy is the same right. Like therapists are trained in that same, you be a presence of calm for somebody. And I wouldn't say I'm great at that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't say I'm a non-anxious presence. I'm not an anxious presence. I'm somewhere between. I'm just a presence. I'm not, I'm neither of them. But I think um, particularly when, and this happens, and maybe you've experienced this too, or you um, maybe have some good wisdom for me on this, but people right now are expressing their deep grief in very, in my opinion, unhealthy ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those unhealthy ways are hurtful Mm -hmm. sort of sideways anger comments. And my whole person's gut response is like defensiveness. And that's the opposite of non-anxious presence in a, in a pastoral setting. Right. And so, so trying to find the balance between being a deep listener and not a doormat because I think there's like right as a therapist I think for you the expectation is you are there to listen and help people mm-hmm. and for me sometimes I feel like people just need to like yell at somebody and I'm convenient Ugh. and I still have to be their pastor yeah and um, although I've been yelled at as a, therapist. yeah, I believe, I believe it. I, I fully believe that. Yes. yes. <laughs> My therapist has gotten a few of those too. There was, there was one time where she asked me just the most pointed question. And I was like, I am not ready for this question. <laughs> like, <laughs> please ask something else. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm yeah. like, no, we're not, we're not doing that today. Um, That's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think. Yeah, I think the, the deep listening is a hard, it's hard thing when you are on the receiving end of some of their, yeah, the things you're supposed to listen to are about you. I don't
1: know. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, I just as a bit of background, um, When I was in college, I I majored in religion and I thought I was going to work for a church in some some capacity. And then I I had to break up with the church because of its politics. Um, And I wandered around sort of aimlessly for a while and eventually found my way to psychotherapy as a profession for a lot of reasons. But but I think one of which is that um, I, I think the thing I always wanted to do the most was skillfully hold space for transformation, whether that, and for a while, I thought that would be through the vehicle of the church yeah. and, and now it's really, really not. But um, I, I, I think that um, deep listening to someone's pain, One of the things that probably in particular analytic training has taught me the most is is how to understand that everybody's interacting with one another from their own projections, right? So it's just becomes over time easier and easier to not take it personally. And to almost listen to people's pain, even when it's targeted right at me as a as a as a metaphor as a as a symbol as a as a it's easier to hang that on me than to deal with it themselves and my job is to hold it but not internalize it and um, give it back to them in pieces and so sometimes the the deep listening has a also has a, a firm boundary you know I have said to many people, both professionally and personally, this isn't mine. Yeah. That's not mine. I understand that you want it to be mine, but I can't pick it up for you because it's not mine. I understand that that's uncomfortable, you know, it's very, very hard to get to know our own shadow. It's much easier to put it on someone else. Yeah. And I understand that intimately. I mean, I do that all the time. I would like everyone to hold my shadow, but me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But that's not what we're doing here. We're learning to take responsibility for, for ourselves. So. Yeah. In some ways
0: it's, it's easier to have a therapist tell you that
1: than a church. Oh, right. No doubt. Yeah. At least I mean, you- bought in enough to yeah. it. you know you go you're going to therapy you're paying money you've bought into the idea here yeah yeah I think pastors get the, oh my gosh there's a there's an episcopal priest in my analyst training group who's also a, a psychotherapist um, and he will tell stories sometimes and I just think nobody gets more projections in then a pastor, like then a priest. I mean, certainly celebrities get a lot of projections but a lot of that's kind of far away. Nobody gets more like a higher volume of intimate, you know, community driven daily on the ground projections both of supreme enlightenment and then absolute devaluation.
0: (laughs) That's very validating. (laughs) I mean, I think I have one person who right now in my congregation has been kind of a, th- a thorn in my side uh, and her spouse died uh, a year and a half ago. And so I can absolutely clearly see what, what this is. Right. I mean, it is, it is like any, anyone talking to you knows what what the problem is you are mad about things changing because everything for you has changed. I I fully get it. And I have so much, so much care and compassion for you. And also like, you don't get to be a jerk just because your (laughs) person, you know, like, and that's so hard to say to somebody pastorally to be like, "Mm, like, this is not how we, this is not how we do this. When you can see it as, as just pain coming out, as yeah. anger, or, you know, it's so hard. And I think that's even for people who haven't lost a loved one in the past two and a half years, it, there's so much loss and yeah. loss is presenting as yeah. just anger and bitterness and meanness. And that's really, that's really hard. And it's hard to say to somebody like, well, do you know what I see here? Like that just kind of makes you sound like a,
1: a jerk sometimes, you know? Don't you think like that changing the definition or the expectation of what is and isn't pastoral would be helpful? Yes. Because I don't, <laughs> I mean, I see a lot of this. I, one of my closest friends is a pastor at like a mega Methodist church in town. And it's, it's almost like there's this idea that pastors are supposed to always be nice. And yet I'm, I'm looking at Jesus and he was not always nice at all right? There's, I mean, he had a lot of boundaries. He let people know when they were absolutely out of line. He let his like closest disciples know, like you are off the mark here. Don't come at me with that shit. You know? Yeah, I know. So I don't know why we think, and especially for women, you know, but why we think pastoral means like, oh mm-hmm, yes, of course. Thank you for telling me this. I understand. Oh well, take that into consideration. No, of course. Yes. Okay, but like, it's it's not really that helpful. Yeah, and
0: and if you, I mean, my experience more recently has been if you do call people out on that, then then their projection swings right back, and you're toxic. You are a toxic leader, you know, yeah. and you're like. I don't think having good boundaries and clear expectations makes me a toxic leader, but I understand why it might feel that way, right? That's it's yeah. so hard to say that like, it's still not gonna change my boundaries or clear expectations <laughs> that you think I'm you think that makes me to- I'm not changing that. So yeah, maybe that's when your response of that's not mine is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good response there, because you know, I think um. Someone asked me recently what 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 would be one thing I would tell a new pastor or a new clergy person? And I was like, oh, set those boundaries right now, set them hard and strong right now. Mm. Cause it's so hard to go back and change boundaries when people have decided you don't have any. Oh yeah. Um it's the work is harder and you will you upset more people. Yeah um, when you're trying to set a boundary that they, they thought you didn't have. I mean, I just think, yeah, I wish somebody had told me more clearly to have better boundaries and to just not apologize for them. Cause I think that's the other thing about female clergy in particular is that we apologize for having a family and apologize for having a life and apologize for being a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and I think so many of my male colleagues clergy colleagues just don't have, have that expectation of needing to apologize for their life outside of pastoral ministry you yeah. know in a way that women do and i think but then the second i don't apologize for my life outside of pastoral ministry i'm a toxic leader that's just really hard you know Gosh. It's a really weird weird job it's such a weird job
1: How did you make this transition from um Catholicism to Lutheranism, and why did you want to become a pastor? Well I don't know if I did um want to. <laughs> and
0: I you know, Nadia Weber a long time ago, somebody asked her, you know, how do you know if you want to be a pastor, or how do you know you want to be?" And she's like, if you can think of doing anything else, do that because it's such a it will just take so much of you. And so I think I tried lots of things first. (laughs) Um, And uh, I really, so the journey to Catholicism, my, you know, my, my father is a professor at a a Catholic university here in Minnesota. And so I grew up with, um, at a monastery monks everywhere like it was just the way I was raised it was a very high church very Catholic very um masculine very patriarchal and I um and then I just dabbled when I got into college I was like what else is out there you know like I was still going to the Catholic church in town just to like appease my grandmother um so she knew I wasn't like you know going to hell. Right. If, right. You know, it's was like, Oh, just, just tell it. So I can tell my grandmother that yes, I went to Catholic church this week or whatever, but, um, I, I tried all sorts of churches. I tried a Presbyterian church and I tried a non-denominational church and I tried the Baptist church in town and I tried the Lutheran church and I was at a Lutheran college. And so I, I feel like I had a good grasp on the theology of these different denominations, and what Lutherans believe about grace mm-hmm. and the work of God in the world um, felt the most to me like what I had read in scripture. And so because of that, now Lutherans, you will hear me, I'm, I'm critical of my own denomination. We're not perfect. There's a lot of issues, <laughs> but theologically, what Protestants believe, I think, fits what I think god is like in the world the best so this idea that i am free from working so hard and trying so hard to earn god's love god has already bestowed this love upon me has named me and claimed me and called me loved um so i'm free from that work on my own behalf but lutherans really place a high value on you are freed so that you do that work on behalf of your neighbor you are still doing that work in the world you are still working on behalf of justice and equality and liberation, but it's not for you. It's Mm. for someone else. Mm. And that, that type of work in the world is compelling to me. And it has, it's what keeps me in it, even when the denomination is frustrating, right. Or when the, the system is frustrating, the theology keeps me in it. And I think, I think it is worthy and, and important to have this it's very countercultural to have this message of there's nothing you can do to make god love you less and there's nothing you can do to make god love you more and particularly that second one people really think yeah but but isn't there like i'm a good person and isn't there really like god really does love me more i think that theology is just baked into our culture and so to say god loves you full stop uh but what you do in the world matters not for you and not for how God perceives you, but for how your neighbor lives in the world. That right. I think is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that is what is compelling to me about Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. And then being a pastor, oof, I mean, it happened in
1: like, oh, what you have a you have a pause, a follow-up. I just wanted to say before I forget <laughs> to say it that my deceased Norwegian Lutheran grandmother. I could feel her in listening to you. I could feel her saying, now this this young woman, this she knows. <laughs> this like beaming, cavelling pride was like entering the room in a, like a mystical, like she's here with us and... She wants me to be pen pals with you.
0: (laughs) Yes, I mean our our tradition, and and this isn't just Lutheran. I mean the the Methodist Church, Presbyterians. I mean they come out of the same Protestant theology, and so. But there is something to be said for our 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 foundation is reform, right? Our foundation is looking at the system and being like, "Ooh, I don't think that's what God meant," and I just feel like we've stepped a little away from that. And that's where my critique of my own faith is really present right now is to say, oh no, we are, we are, we are in need of some reformation again. We are in need of some looking around. And that's why where people are so scared of deconstruction and faith right now. I'm not, because I'm like, deconstruction is reforming. It's the same thing. You're looking at a thing and you're saying, oh, should we, we hang on to this? Is it, is it helpful? Is it, is it from God? Is it from us? Is it worthy? I mean, like all these things are important.
1: And I always think it. I mean, if if belief in in God or whatever you want to call it is sincere, you have to imagine that it's not a static. It's there's nothing static about a living, breathing source of all created things. So, I remember when I was in in college, I had this uh, religion professor that said that. Um, the Hebrew translation of God's, of Yahweh's words to Moses about his or her, them, their name were, were so radically different than, than what the English language can really even communicate. Mm -hmm. And, and he said to us, really, essentially, God said to Moses, like, I am who I am. I am becoming what I am becoming. I will be what I will be and you are in big, 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 big trouble. If you try to nail me down or imprison me in any kind of definition at all, the minute you do that, you've lost me. I'm dead.
0: Yeah. The God, you try to put God in a container and you're like, Oh, I'm so sad. You just make God so small, you know, like, Oh, that's so sad to make. Yeah. Yeah which is again, my one sermon that I repeat all the time is that like anything you can do to widen who God is in Mm. the world is like good, beautiful work of saying, God looks like this. God looks like this. God looks like this. And to keep adding that, that God is not limited. God is limitless. And so then the ways to perceive and experience God in the world are limitless. Then that just makes being in the world so much more enjoyable right? <laughs> to be like, there's so much potential to see God here. Yeah. Everything is sacred. Yeah. Uh, and every person. Yeah. Which is hard and holy, right. To yeah. say like this person I vehemently disagree with, disagree <laughs> with is also created in the image of God. What does that mean? Right. What does it mean to see someone who I don't want to spend time with or don't want to have a conversation with, or thinks who I am as a person or my job is invalid. Um, what does it mean to still see them as a, a beloved child of God? You know, that's oh gosh, what hard work in the world. Oh my gosh.
1: Have you ever heard Anne Lamotte talk about this? Yeah. Um, she's weird. She I heard, lets God do that. <laughs> I heard her speak once about how um. This was years ago about how she was she was still um you know pleading with God to help her love Dick Cheney <laughs> or something like that or or not even that. She said, I've I've been asking God to help me hate Dick Cheney less. And I would say over the past, you know, seven years, I think I hate him maybe seven percent less, which is a miracle of grace. You know? <laughs> I had a
0: congregation member who would, we we were in a, a on a trip together, we were driving in a car and he would be like, Oh, thank goodness. God loves you. Cause I sure don't right now to like bad drivers. He would just like <laughs> shout that out. And I just feel like that was such a beautiful recognition of the difference between my limits and God's limits. Right. And so to say like, it is not, I think my call is to work at what it means to be love and care in the world. And, I'm not God. And thank goodness, because I, God's job is to love all people. And my job is to try to see them as beloved, but not to have to do the loving all the time. <laughs> and what a freedom that is to be like, Oh, thank goodness. You know, yeah. I don't have to love you, but God sure does. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. You're so loved. You are so loved. And yeah. that message does not it doesn't have to be from me. <laughs> I, don't, I, there are people who will love you and God will love you if I can't right now. And I think there's a lot of freedom
1: in that. Yeah. Too. Okay. Tell me how, because you mentioned this earlier and I wanted to circle back to it, given the moment we're in, tell me about your transition from identifying your value system as pro-life or, you know, anti-abortion into what it is now. What, what was that journey? Like, how did you, Yeah. I
0: mean, so I grew up Catholic. Like I said, my grandmother, um, uh, she, I, I, I await her, her glowing presence in the room next to me. As I talk about her here, (laughs) we'll see, she might be, it might be a little less glowing. Um, (laughs) she was pretty sassy. She was pretty sassy, but I also think when I did become a pastor, she was no longer alive, but I think she, she would have freaking loved. I think she would have loved to be a priest, but it wasn't allowed, you know, and she didn't want to be a nun. And I think, I don't know. I just think she would have loved me being a pastor, but um, she was a one issue voter. She picked the pro-life candidate and that was it. It did not matter where they stood on anything else. And I just found that I, as a, a student of the liberal arts, when I went to a tiny liberal arts college, I, I found that position to be, that was sort of my start to be like, Oh, why would you do that when there are so many other things that matter, right? To me, so um, my younger brother was an environmental educator that, or he is still an environmental educator. But that was his his degree and study area of study, and so our family got pretty intense on environmental justice. and And to look at a candidate who was pro life who often didn't have a stance on environmental justice felt like a uh, a, a lot of dissonance there for us, for me in particular, around um, my feminist radicalization. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just to say, and and I used to, I think my, my like straddling the two worlds position that I came to for a long time, I'm not there anymore, but I held this position of, well, I'm personally pro-life, but I'm politically pro-choice. I think that was my like way to mm-hmm. kind of, get around it right to be like i i think i i don't think i would ever get an abortion but i would never judge anybody else who did right that was kind of my stance for a very very long time yeah. um but the more you learn or or educate yourself or experience in the world it's like if you say that you are just pro choice if you believe people should be able to choose for themselves then you're not pro-life you're pro-choice like that's all that is (laughs) so to have to have that sort of push me along and then I would say being a pastor and being with people in moments of just intense loss of of um particularly you know second and third trimester babies Mm -hmm. um Uh, That was my tipping point Mm -hmm. to be with families who had to make impossible medical decisions Mm -hmm. um, and for them to feel like they weren't sure Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that God loved them anymore, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or they weren't sure that the church would love them anymore, for sure, Mm -hmm. to me felt like um, the final push into, no, that can't be, that can't be what God wants. That Mm -hmm. can't be what God wants for anybody to feel like a medical choice they've made means they are outside of the, the realm of God's love. I just feel like that's, I just felt like morally, spiritually, ethically wrong. <laughs> I just like that cannot be how God works in the world. And I feel like anytime I fall on that, that can't be how God works to me is a, is a lean in when I feel that, I feel like that is the Holy spirit being like, get it, get it, get it. Like just, you know, that, that, and it's not to, to say I have the answer or like the, it's not black and white for me. It's still not, but to say, even, even in, um, even in my, in my theology around, around the queer acceptance and the queer community. It's still that same thing. If what you say makes a kid think they shouldn't be here anymore, you're wrong. It has to be wrong. That can't be, that can't be God. Because and so I just I just want to follow the follow the thread when the spirit makes me feel like, oh gosh, that can't be how God is. I I really lean into that feeling. Yeah. And I think so much and and when I do, so much fruitful life. And again, that widening of God's work in the world happens in response to leaning into that, like, Ooh, feeling. And I understand the, the instinct to be like, I want out, I want out of this conversation. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm just going to stick with my black and white, but you cannot hold a baby at 21 weeks and, and baptize them while their parents are sobbing and not feel like, Yeah. God is in this, God is in this place and, and this is still holy and it still matters. Right. And so that's been my, and, and I think as I've unraveled, I mean, I, because I dabbled in like so many denominations in college, (laughs) um, there was a lot of purity culture wrapped into my uh, formative years as well. And to pull on that thread, I think automatically pulls on this pro-choice pro-life thread because so much of the conversation is about like a woman being promiscuous and getting herself pregnant and then having to do this thing and you're like, "Well, let's let's talk about, you know, like we let's let's pull on that thread a little and once you start un- unpacking some of the purity culture bullshit that's been put on you, I think you do automatically become more pro-choice you become more like yep we are just we are uh it is about the more you pull on that thread I think the more you realize it's about women and not about babies anything else babies or or life or any of these things because there is no person who could stand next to me in, in that hospital room and say what we were doing what that family had to do was murder right it's just like you just can't you can't do that you can't it's not possible I just think you can't do that
1: and actually it's sort of to your earlier point that anytime you get up close to something yes you know then then you you open you know you there's a there's a way that I often think there's just no way that the staunch I mean, every every person that I either know or know of that is really anti-abortion, they have either had some sort of reaction formation to an abortion in the personal or family history or, um, or they have never gotten near it. Never, 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 never. For a lot of reasons that are often wrapped in enormous privilege, right? Yes. So... so there's um there's something I don't know will willfully, defensive or uh, distancing about any rigid black and white stance on how people should live and behave right yes, absolutely, but something absolutely. you said earlier, which I just want to highlight so badly, is that the way that you talked about um that feeling of going this, this cannot be who God is as a, as a, I don't remember exactly how you said it now. Um, cause a few beats ago, but just as information or some kind of conviction, right. it's from- the Holy
0: spirit. Just, it's just the Holy spirit. I think that's, that's how she rolls in the world. I just think yeah. when, when you have those like, Ooh, moments, I, I think I understand your inc- people's inclination to back Back away from it very fast because this means I'm gonna have to do something or change or learn. And all of those things are scary and exhausting. We don't have time or energy for it. So I understand the instinct to like, whoa, back back away from it. But boy, when you follow the Holy Spirit, well, and she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's doing.
1: (laughs) And I I find it so striking because I um a couple of things. One, I remember being a child at a Christian camp. I think I was probably 12. And for whatever reason, I don't remember the circumstances but my my counselors were talking or, or maybe the person who gave the kind of sermon of the evening had been talking about, you know you either believe in this particular way or you go to hell, right? And then I was so disturbed by this and my counselors were trying to sort of make it make sense for me. And so I was 12 years old and I had this, like, this cannot be the way that God operates or this God is a monster. It's a, it, that's a monstrous, ghoulish thing to do. You're going to abandon the child born in a brothel in India because they happen to not be born in a Scandinavian Lutheran church in Northeastern Iowa. That's insanity. Yes, you know, and um, so, and so all these adults are telling me why this is so and I remember just sitting there being like, I don't know how I know that they are so wrong, but this is impossible. Yeah. And and I am out of this operation, <laughs> you know, like that.
0: Yeah. And that's part of what birthed our podcast, right? Is It's a lot of people being like, I don't know what I believe, but it is not that it is not that over there, which, which is loud and out in the public sphere and telling people they're sinners and telling them are going to go to hell or telling them they can have their best life. Now, if they just pray harder and act the right ways, say the right prayer, I have that, like, you just need to say this thing and God will love you has always sparked that in me like that. This cannot be right because I, so, I, and I've said from the pulpit, I've been like, if that was what I believed, if that's what God was like, I'd be out. I would not have this job. I would not do this work. I would not, I could not do it. I no. could not do it if that was the case. And I just think anytime you do follow that feeling, mm-hmm. it isn't, it is an opening and a widening of who God is. And okay. I just, I'm always in search of that feeling. I'm always in search of that. Cause I think that is God.
1: Yeah. Mm. How do you think? things got so what is the word i'm looking for <laughs> Bastardized, per, you know perverted um corrupted a gentler word might be confused but i i ask mm. myself this a lot like how is it that christianity has become synonymous even for me with like bigoted hateful arrogant um angry zealots how did that happen because it's the antithesis of what you meet in the gospel actually even the antithesis of what you meet in the old testament prophets yeah so yeah i mean i think my my quick answer to that would be
0: it's scarcity combined with power (laughs) so like if you think there's a limited amount of anything you're going to do your best to hang on to what you have and and grab more because we're just hoarders in a scarcity model mindset and in a system where you think there's limited power you are going to be doing your best to get more of that right so it's like scarcity plus power so i think all of the you know if you're if you're in any part in participating in the Christian community, you might've heard like the Hillsong documentary or the fallout rise and fall of Mars Hill podcasts, or all these podcasts that are trying to do some of this, like, how do things blow up? I mean, to me, the power is at the core, right? It's like believing somehow that, that I am better, bigger, no more than anybody else, um, is, is dangerous. And and popularity and power kind of go together, I think, but it's this idea of we've lost the, we really lost the ability to say like, you aren't special, but you're so special, but you're not special. right? <laughs> to, to, like that combination of those things keeps us humble in a way that I think Christianity has lost. It's just bought into the the like rising of the American dream kind of mindset it's just not it's not American Christianity is unique when you step out of this country and you find Christians in other countries it's very different yeah. right and so but that I that idea of there's a hoarding kind of mentality and that only comes from scarcity and believing that uh i am i i'm deserving of a bigger piece of pie than somebody else well the only way you can do that is by saying you're better yeah i i've done more i deserve more i whatever and again that's when my theology is like no like you there's pie for everybody your job (laughs) you've been you've gotten your piece of pie it's enough for you you are enough everything is good you are loved now your neighbor is not getting any pie. (laughs) What can you do about that? Right? Like, that's, that's a different mindset. That's the mindset of scripture. That's not the mindset of church always, or Christianity always. And I think anytime we exclude people, push people out to keep ourselves in an exclusive group or to put ourselves higher or set apart Um, I think we're doing something wrong. That, that inspires the like ooh feeling in me that I lean into to say, no, that's not, I don't think that's what this is. I don't think that's what I read in scripture. I don't think that's what God's like.
1: I have two remaining questions. All right. The first is because you've said many times that you know, one of the things you're most interested in is widening the experience of God. Mm-hmm. If you could tell me how you recognize God in a sentence, like what you look for, like what feels like the aroma of God, right? Or, the you know, in a sentence, what would that be? Oh my goodness. I mean, I think...
0: We were talking about listening, but I also think, I think maybe it's seeing people as they are is the aroma of God. I just think, I think when we, this work of like trying to change people, this kind of full circle us back, only puts yourself, it separates us from each other, right? To say, my ways, right. Even though I fully believe my ways, right. A lot of times, listen, I'm an Enneagram one. I know the right answer for all the things, (laughs) Um, but, but I think to see someone, right. So I'll go back to this person who's been a thorn in my side. I, it could be so awful if I couldn't see her for who she is to not to just see her as an angry, upset person is easy. That's the easy task to see her as a grieving person is harder and nuanced and, and really beautiful. (laughs) Right. Um, there is something about seeing people as they are, that I think is God in the world, whether that's, broken or not broken, whether that's grieving or not grieving, just as full human, whole people. I also think there is God exists in people I that I have a hard time loving that I can still see as full people. I think God is there. Um, and I, I think there's sometimes this pressure given to people by the church or by faith that says like, we well, have to love everybody. And that feels like, Oh gosh, well, I must be a bad Christian. Cause I can't. And I, <laughs> and I, I think that is just fine. And I think it's important for people to hear a pastor be like, oh I don't really love that person right now, but I can trust that they are loved and that is enough. And I can see them as loved and that is that is seeing God in that in that connection, right? I can see God in that person. If I can see God in that person, then I have done good, beautiful work in the world. And I think that is God in me saying, "They are beloved. They are beloved. They are loved." Yes. That is that is how I see God in the world. Is trying to see. I don't know, trying to see the image of God in people that I find hard to love. is really important, (laughs) important work, Uh, but I don't have, and I feel like maybe it's like really, somebody's going to just critique me on being a heretic for like saying, you don't have to love everybody. But I think I I really believe you don't have to love everybody. (laughs) I really believe God does that. I just really believe that. Yeah. I
1: think think you are saying that you recognize God by love. You just aren't in like conflating your humanity with yes some supernatural yes divine love that just exists and permeates things you don't have to carry that all on your own but you recognize yes that, that is that that is present omnipresent and always available even if you yourself cannot call it forth
0: yes, yes. and i think that is really liberating for people i think uh to not feel the pressure. Again, this is my own Lutheran theology coming in again, to be like, you're freed from having to do all the things and you are freed from having to love people who, who are hard to love. It's okay. It's okay.
1: Okay. Final question. Okay. Okay. What is one thing you wish everyone knew? I think
0: I already, I already said it, which was the, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. Um, I wonder what the world would be like if we believed that, if everyone believed that, like really, really believed that, what we might spend our time on, <laughs> trying less hard to be good and worthy, or spending less time thinking we aren't worthy. Um, yeah. I think so much of our mental and emotional life is spent on doing one of those two things, right? Working really hard or thinking we are awful. And I wonder, (laughs) I wonder how much of our energy could be used for making the world a a really a better place if we, if we believed
1: those two things solidly at our core. Sure. I mean, most of the time when we're hurting ourselves or hurting others, it's coming from a place of not believing we're enough. So it would be pretty radically different. Yeah. Everyone could walk around the world feeling Okay just just it's almost like having secure attachment to the divine the way that yeah oh thank you for having this conversation with me oh thanks for
0: having me this is so great i just love uh uh for whitney's listeners uh this just happened over instagram we don't know each other in real life this is amazing yeah. this is how this is what i this is why digital life is so great because you can meet <laughs> people
1: who you might not otherwise meet and it's yeah it's so good. Yeah, this is the upside to a digital yeah. experience. Yeah, for sure. There's some downsides, but I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you to Natalia for gracing us with her presence, wisdom, vulnerability, and courage. And thank you to Natalia for her patience with our slow process over here at the Hidden World Podcast. The Hidden World is edited and produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written and recorded by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Be good to yourselves and each other.